This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Hi, welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. This is Arjun, and I always have the best seat in the house because I get a chance to talk to fascinating leaders from all walks of life all over the world. Today, my VIP guest is Derek Robbins. He is a best-selling author who has helped thousands, and that's very important, is thousands of people around the world increase their personal and professional performance in a big way. And just to get an idea about the impact he has had, Fast Company calls him inspiring and says he'll make your life less ordinary. Wow. Forbes says that Jarek will teach you how to succeed. The Deepak Chopra will advise you to go to Jarek to help create meaningful and fulfillment in your life. And the list goes on. Brian Tracy applauds Jarek's ability to teach people how to develop meaning and purpose in life and then to make a difference. Wow, wow, wow. Welcome, Jarek Robbins. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor and pleasure to be here. Jarek, I want to start at the very beginning. What's your biggest secret where that you use to help people find the meaning and purpose in life? Ah, my biggest secret comes from one of my biggest mistakes early on. And I was living in Uganda, teaching organic farming out in the villages. And while I was there, I got malaria twice. Now, I grew up in Southern California where most people don't believe too much in modern medicine. My family happened to not believe in it a whole lot. And so how we kill, you know, we cure a headache with meditation or green juice or, or vegetable and lots of sleep. Uh, we cleanse and do these kinds of things. So when I got malaria, I decided that I was going to use my holistic healing techniques I learned as a kid to try to cure malaria. When I tried to explain that to the doctor in Uganda, he thought that was the stupidest thing he'd ever heard in his whole life. <laughs> so him and I went back and forth on it a while, and I allowed malaria to get to the point that I had 56,000 parasites per one red blood cell. Wow. At that point, the doctor told me, because it's gone so far, you have about six days left to live if you continue this journey, if you continue doing what you're doing. He said, I would urge you not to. I think you're medically insane at this point. Like You need to do something different. Luckily, I trusted this doctor and I did an intervention with him and we were able to, to fix it. And that, I, that was years ago. But the secret came in being told I had six days left to live because all of a sudden that second version of life, someone says you have two lives. The first life is when you're born. The second life is you realize you only get one and it only lasts so long. Now, there's things you can do in the next life. But for now, I mean there was a short window with six days. And I had to figure out how was I going to choose to live the next six days of my life so that when, if I were to die on day six, I lived fully, loved deeply and lived in a way that really mattered. And I sat down, I had heard of this concept before called designing your ideal day. Mm -hmm. So I sat down with a pen and paper in the hospital and I wrote, I mean, I can't go home. They won't let me out of the country. They won't let me out of the hospital. I can't see any of my loved ones. I'm on the other side of earth from where my family is. How in the world am I going to live the life I want to live? And I said, well, what's the type of person I'm going to choose to be in, in these six days? How am I going to treat the people around me? 
you know, they're struggling as much, if not more than I am in all these hospital beds. How can I cheer them up? How can I bring a little life into their emotions? How can I make the most with just my mind and emotions in the circumstance I have? And as these thoughts started to form, I decided like either I'm just going to give up and die or I'm going to put together the life I want to live and I'm going to find a way to live into it, to live for it, to live to live it and really make it happen. And so that secret sauce came from tolding, told I only had a very limited time left to live. You know, there are two things. One, I'm very glad and we are all fortunate that you didn't give up. Yeah. Second, I think you are not the only person who may have gone through a similar situation, but you are one of the very few who chose to use the wake-up call to make your life better and make our life better. So thank you for that. Yeah. I want to go to the backstory behind this. What took you to Uganda? So I grew up in Southern California. I went to a, a university in San Diego. I, and my study abroad, I found this thing called Semester at Sea, which is a floating cruise ship. You go to class on board. Um, you have 690 students attending university courses on the ship as it goes completely around the world. And so I got on the ship. We went around the world. We went from Tokyo to Hong Kong. We went down into India, Thailand. We went over to Vietnam. We went down to Tanzania, which was my introduction into to East Africa. We went to South Africa, Venezuela, Brazil, back up to Florida. But when I got to South East Africa, something really called to me. It felt like home. It felt very, very warm. It felt very like just my DNA was there for some reason. I felt like there was something that called me there. And so when I came home, I just kept thinking of the people I saw living in the villages and how life was. And I was like, man, I got to go help. I can't just sit here and go to school and not remember those people. So I found a volunteer organization. I packed everything up and I, I moved over to uh, Kingalamira, which is a, a pineapple village 20 minutes outside of the city of Jinja. And I was there to help with organic farming to rebuild the land, to rebuild the farms. A lot of the coffee farms, someone sold them illegal pesticide and it killed off all the farms. And so I was there to help them refertilize and retill the land to get it back healthy so they could get their, their businesses back up and running. Now, Derek, what's fascinating about this conversation is in today's world, when you and I talk to any person, the word we, word, word we hear over and over is get, 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 get. Yeah. It's a very selfish world. People want more. Like the word that... I just do bizarre tally marking in my mind that you said at least 12 times in the last one minute is help, 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 help. You were a young man. Like this whole journey to help at that young age, how did this DNA, how was this planted? Like how did this journey start that you felt the urge and you acted on it at that such young age? So I wasn't always that way. I'll rewind earlier. When I was in high school growing up, I remember there was MTV music videos and I used to get ready and watch the show every morning with Carson Daly. And there was a music video by Puff Daddy and Biggie Smalls called Hypnotize. And in, this was the flashiest cars, planes, yachts, helicopters, like the flashiest stuff filled video I'd ever seen. And I remember at 15 years old thinking, man, if I could have that kind of life, that's really living. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wanted all this stuff as a kid. And I had a lot of stuff. My dad grew up poor. He was kicked out at 18. He worked his face off and did extraordinarily well financially. And he made sure that even though my mom and him, my mom and I didn't live with him, we were separate, that we never worried about money. He was always making sure we had plenty. 
So there was a part of me that thought stuff would fulfill that void in my life. Fast forward, uh, that trip around the world opened my eyes to how the majority of earth lives. I mean, we stopped in a town in South Africa where historically every Friday a bulldozer would come and flatten the town because they didn't want people living that close to the other people. Hmm. I was like, oh my gosh. You know, we went out to the villages in Tanzania and saw people living in in uh, mud huts. When we were in India, went the port we pulled into, I remember I went to the beach one night and there was people sleeping on the beach, not for fun. Like that's where they lived. And Vietnam, same thing. Thailand, same thing. Like you, I kept seeing it everywhere. And it called to me. Fast forward, after that trip, when I got malaria, I remember thinking the only thing I need is my health. My goodness, you could take away all my stuff. And I hear people say this phrase all the time, and it drives me insane. And the phrase is, oh, we go visit the villages and these people have nothing. I mean, you know, they have nothing. Mm -hmm. And I always stop and look at them and say, wait a second, are they healthy? Yeah. Do they have family or people who care about them? Yeah. Do they have love? Yeah. I don't understand what they're missing. They seem to have the most important ingredients of life. But most people talk about how they have nothing when they really have everything you need, except for all the excess stuff people Mm -hmm. are, are trained to go get. And so looking at that, it rewired my nervous system. And then fast forward, I'll tell you a side story really quick. I was on Instagram a few years ago and I was scrolling and all of a sudden this young woman's photo caught my attention. And I remember just looking at this young woman and going, wow, holy Moses. And I was like, who is she? And I looked her up. She was born with cystic fibrosis, meaning her lungs would stop working at some point. Mm -hmm. She had a double lung transplant where they cut her open, broke her ribs, pulled out her lungs, put in new lungs, sewed her back together and sent her out to life. They told her she's got a chance. She met a husband, got married. He knew the whole story. One day she had a seizure. Her lungs stopped working. She went back to the hospital. They told her, I'm sorry, we can't help you. You've already had one double lung transplant. If we do another, it's a waste of lungs. We should just help someone else. So they sent her home saying, you should just go on hospice and you know live out your last few days. She was crying. She said, I didn't fight 18 years to give up now. So her and her husband wrote 100 letters to 100 hospitals. Four of them wrote back and said, we'll try to help. One of them took her in, which was UCLA. Huge, huge props to them. They took her in. They hooked her up to the machines to keep her physically alive until they got another set of lungs. 2 a.m., they got a call. She got rushed into the emergency room. They cut her open, broke her ribs, pulled out the old lungs that weren't working, put in the new ones, sewed her back up. The picture I saw of her is a graphic picture. It was her directly after surgery. She had stitches straight down the middle of her chest. She had a tube coming straight out of where her heart was because she actually came out of surgery and got rushed right back in because her heart started to fill with fluid. So they did an open heart surgery on her directly after a double lung transplant. She has these giant glasses on and she had the biggest smile on her face I've ever seen with two thumbs up. And I interviewed her and her husband, and her husband said the day after her surgery, she had a tube down her throat for air. So she was writing on a board to talk, and she had the biggest smile on her face he said I've ever seen. He said, if I told you our wedding day she had a bigger smile, I'd be lying. It was the biggest smile I've ever seen on my wife's face. And what she scribbled on the board, and when it turned around with this giant smile, it said, I can breathe. 
Oh my goodness. And I asked her, what's the best feeling you've ever had in your entire life? And she said, the ability to fill my lungs with my own free will is the greatest feeling she's ever had. And that came after two double lung surgeries, two open heart surgeries, tons of medical treatments. I mean, God bless the doctors and medical teams for keeping her alive. And my goodness, her will to live is unbelievable. And so my journey from 15 thinking helicopters and yachts and planes to 20 thinking, man, if I just have good health, I'm good to just this last year, 30, what, five, 34 years old, seeing this young woman online thinking, wow, if I have a heartbeat and I can fill my own lungs, I have way more than enough to have a great life. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of my daughter, she's 27 and she does, she's working you know, in sociology at UPenn. She's doing a, a PhD in India. It's bizarre. Like I leave India, come to US and now she has gone back 70 miles from where I grew up. Oh. She is in the Sundarbans in the middle of nowhere talking to migratory populations. Yeah. So one day she walked in mud without shoes, of course, for close to two hours to meet and interview this family. Mm. And their life is all about that particular day. So that family that day had their harvest for the day was little spinach, four shrimps, and of course they have some wild rice. Raka came back home to her you know, base. She said that two hours later, this family comes two hours walking to me with food. They had cooked for me and they had got me two shrimp, half the spinach and half the rice. Okay. We both were crying. She said that I didn't have time to cry. I had to eat right away because they were sitting around me because I wanted them to go back as soon as possible before evening. Otherwise, after sunset, tigers come out. Now think if your net worth was four shrimps and you traveled two hours to give those two out of those four to this daughter who is away from her dad and mom. And that's the part where when you talked about not having anything, I really feel that is such an amazing chord that you touched in me. And I think in everyone's life is we have so much. And a second micro thought I have is I have gone through a lot of surgeries, you know, I went through cancer when I was 35. And after one of the surgeries, I could not drink water for four days. Mm. And I just remember I was dying to have the first sip of water. And since then, I like anytime, if you can offer me a drink, I would just say, can I get a glass of water with no ice? Because that's like the coolest drink ever. And you're talking about, you know, this amazing human being talking about she can breathe at her free will. That's absolutely brilliant. Let's take the conversation to fulfillment because you talk such a lot about fulfillment. You being wiser than the rest of us, help us understand what is fulfillment as you see it. Fulfillment, I have so many great mentors. So my wiseness, I wish could, I said, could come from my own brain. Honestly, my wiseness comes from, I've been privileged and honored to be surrounded by so many brilliant, loving, amazing people. And so, you know, I have so many great mentors. My mom, the one thing she taught me that stood with me forever is just care. And so caring brings me fulfillment, caring about others. I remember you're in marketing. You're brilliant with marketing. I, I went to, you probably know him or of him or maybe know him, a Seth Godin conference. Him and I were speaking at the same event and I raised my hand at the end to ask him a question. And I asked him, you know, how purple cow, how would you teach your son how to stand out if he was in the same industry as you? 
And he said, I don't think this has to do anything with me. I know who you are. And he goes, I know you're in the industry as your dad. And he goes, if you're asking what makes you different, he said, it's the fact that you really care. He's like, I've watched your stuff. I've seen your, your spiel. He's like, you really care about people. You genuinely do. Not everyone does. He goes, that's what makes you different. Mm -hmm. And I laughed and I, I thought about that all night. And I said, where did I learn caring? Like, where, what is that? Where did it come from? How did I care so much? Because not everyone cares. And I said, I really feel like I got that from my mom. And so fulfillment to me is living true to what matters to me. And what matters to me is caring about others. Uh, the second piece I picked up came from my grandma. And my grandma, you know, we're half Mexican, half Spanish. So Mexican-American, Spanish-American. Uh, she's also partially American Indian. So we're, she grew up brown in Southern California at a time when there was a white and a brown issue. And so she told me stories as a kid where, you know, they'd let the brown kids and black kids go in the swimming pool. And then afterwards, there's one pool in town and then they drain the pool, scrub the pool and let the white kids in after they bleach it and clean it so they don't get dirty. I was like, oh my gosh. And then my great grandpa, he was a tailor. He worked really hard. He saved up money and he was an investor for property. So he bought properties. He bought a rental property in the white part of town and they told him he couldn't. He did it anyways because he's stubborn. That runs in my family. So he bought it. The next day, they burnt it down. I was like, oh my gosh. And so she lived through these kind of things. And I was like, grandma, aren't you mad at people for discrimination? Aren't you upset at the way they treated you? Aren't you frustrated by the things that they did to you? And she goes, honey, I don't have time for that. She's like, my belief is you play the hand you're dealt. Whatever hand you get, no matter how good it is or bad it is, you take it and you play it with all your might and you do the best you can with it. And so the second part of fulfillment for me is playing the hand I'm dealt, doing the most I can with whatever I've been given or granted the opportunity to play the game with. And so for her, she raised five children, then became a secretary as women did back then. That was the main job as a woman. Fast forward, she got in the sales and for over, I think she's 83 or 84 this year. So 80, 70, 60, 50, over, over 35, almost 40 years, she's been in sales. She still does sales at 83. She still cold calls three days a week. So I teased people in sales. I said, if you're not cold calling at least three days a week, my grandma is kicking your butt. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> but the, the piece with her, she plays the hand she's dealt and she's been the number one sales agent in every company she's ever worked for. She has the key to the city of Los Angeles as businesswoman of the year. It's remarkable by playing the hand you're dealt. Um, the final one I'll throw in here for two seconds for fulfillment is so really caring, playing the hand you're dealt and then living true to what's possible. And that I give credit to my dad as a mentor for. He was kicked out of the house at you know, 17, 18 years old. And he went from kicked out of the house at 17, 18 years old to now he's done unbelievably well business-wise and making a difference-wise. He's on. He has a commitment through Feed America to feed a billion people over 10 years. And so far, they've contributed over 500 million meals over the last five years through that organization. And so Sorry, go to ahead. go from someone yes. who's basically homeless to being able to give over 500 million meals, uh, you know, 100 million meals a year is unbelievable. As I'm listening to you, the concept of I don't have time for dealing with anything else. I, I think that's such a simple thing because I will draw a parallel. I was working with one of the top golfers. Okay? He has a list his dad had made on a napkin that he has framed. 
on things I cannot control on a golf course. But if I try to, disaster strikes. And so many times we waste energy, and I think on things that we cannot control. Instead, play your heart out. And what is fascinating is the story of your grandma, I'm sorry, is slightly cooler than your story, is <laughs> not only she came from nowhere to excel, but think, she is like 10 Michael Jordans, is having the number one in any sales and doing it till she's 83. And I hope and pray she does it till 100 and beyond. It's fascinating. But I also it's amazing. To, yeah, I also want to draw my attention back to you is, sorry to put you on the spot. A lot of people can say I care. But even before you said you care, the conversation about you genuinely care from the heart shows. And I really think that is very fascinating. And I want to go a little bit, talk a little bit about, you know, Father's Day was just, you know, behind us. Your dad is really cool. And thanks for sharing some of the inspirations. What is one of the coolest memories, moments or learning from your dad? And then I want to talk about, you know, it was very easy for you to see the path your dad created, but you created a niche for yourself. What made you create your own niche and be the Jarek, the only Jarek that we need and you are? Great questions. First off, hold on. Let me rewind real quick. The concept of caring, I thought that was the most helpful yet hardest to implement advice I've ever gotten from Seth Godin, which was what makes you different is you care. I was like, that's awesome. I know that about myself, but how the hell do you write that on a website? If you write, I care on a website, I would question that. If you show up on someone's website as I care, I'd go, ooh, why are they saying that? What are they trying to make me think about them? It doesn't come off as genuine. You you can only show it to people. You can't tell them. They have to experience it and feel it. It's not something you can say, which I'd love your two cents on marketing. I have no clue how to capture that. Yeah, but to me, I think that's the part where is the proof is what this young man in California who cares did. So think for a second. 20, 21, 22, that's the forming years of our life. It's investment time. Okay. If you are taking a year away for a cause you care about, the proof is not about me screaming louder than you, I care. Or we having a contest, you say, I care too. I say, I care three, four, five. No, it's not that. The proof is what you do when you care and how far do you go because you nearly lost your life because of your caring. But I really believe in karma in a bigger way that you were destined to find something bigger and you came back with some bigger wealth. But I think the proof is show your care, act in a selfless way, putting others first. And that's the proof. So let's go back to the lesson learned from your dad and what makes you unique in the field. Totally. So greatest lessons learned from dad. I think it's something he says all the time, but it's something he truly lives, which is trade your expectations for appreciation and your life will be beautiful always. And it's so many people, the reason they're so upset is they have an expectation or they want something and they're not making the most of what they have. I'll give you an example. Before we hopped on, I'm talking to a young woman in Uganda who grew up in the streets. She grew up homeless outside of Kampala. She feels called to help the street kids who are living on the streets right now. She's got about 13 kids she tries to take care of. And I was talking to her and trying to help her. And the biggest challenge we're facing is she knows more about the limitations of her life and circumstance right now than what's possible. She's focused on what's not available to her instead of what is. 
She's focused on why people won't help her instead of the ones who will. And so she's so focused on what won't work, what she doesn't have, why it's not good enough, why she's trying to make it more, 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 bigger, 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 better, 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 which is what most people in the world are trying to get, bigger, better, more. Mm -hmm. And the thing that'll transform everything is when we step back and we go, wait a second, this is what I've been blessed with right now. I'm just going to be grateful for the fact that I have a heartbeat I can breathe. Okay, what can I do with that? I'm going to be grateful for, I have a room that I can fit the 12 kids I'm taking care of in. Great. What can I do with this room? Great. I'm going to be grateful for. And if you keep adding the gratitude and taking and just expanding it, this is what I have. What can I do with it? This is what I have. What can I do with it? This is what I have. What can I do with it? And this thought process doesn't change. I mean, I've talked to people at Goldman Sachs who says, well, I'm in charge of X amount of money, but if I only had X more, look what I could do then. And I was like, it doesn't change. She's in charge of 12 people in a room. They're in charge of hundreds of millions of dollars. Like it's the same story. And the story is if I just had more, then everything would be fixed. I'm like, no, it wouldn't. You have to take what you have and do something with it. And that thought is so powerful. And so it's trading expectations of if I just had more, that would make my life better for appreciation. I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to do something with it and I'm going to maximize it. And the funny part is when you maximize it and you're grateful, you don't really need any more, mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden more shows up. Mm-hmm. That's the, the conundrum people don't realize exists. And you know this, it's like when you take what you have and you fully maximize it and you're so grateful for it. And the truth is you don't need any more, all of a sudden a bunch more shows up. It's really, really amazing. There's a Facebook group I found called Buy Nothing. I don't know who invented this. When you join the group, you have to take a pledge that we are not going to sell anything. Mm. And we just recently moved from Denver to Houston. And things that we do not need, we post it there and people come and take it. And in that process, we have the, with COVID and everything else, we have the parking lot conversation with fascinating people. Mm. And all of a sudden, if I have to be very practical, the utility of that extra desk that would have been my backup quarterback who I never need. But seeing this dad and mom talking about their kid who is in high school, how he would study using it. You know, I was in tears. I was like, wow, why did this desk not find its way there sooner? And I just also want to share another moment is I was in New York. There was this golf putting contest going on. And we were on different holes, you know, cheering people. Then all of a sudden I realized that nearly everyone has moved to one hole. And there was this young man who has one arm, one leg. Wow. And in golf, when you putt, at that instant, you cannot use the putter to connect to your body. So Mm -hmm. as he walks and as he stands, he uses the putter as a crutch. But at that instant, just before he putts, he has to let everything go, balance, putt, and then he crutches. And I'm thinking, you and I have heard about glass half full. So many times we don't need even half full, we need a glass. You and I both have two arms. This is a man with one arm, one leg. And I became his number one fan to the point where I think he missed a part in top six, couldn't go to top five. I even started screaming by saying, I called time out, man. He needs a second chance in life. <laughs> but those are amazing moments. And to me, this part of the wisdom will stay with me forever, my friend, is what do you have and what can you do with it for someone else? I just want to look at with all the wisdom. Okay? And this would be a very tough question for you. If you can take all your wisdom, go back to when you were 15 years old, what would be one thing you will tell that 15-year-old amazing kiddo 
that one wisdom. So if at 15, I really, really, truly believed if I could just get all those things, my life was going to be amazing. If I were to go back to that 15-year-old me, I would just tell him, I said, just do what you feel is right. Just keep helping people. It'll work so much better than you know. Because I always had the drive to help people, but something sparked inside of me right around 13, 14, 15, where I thought I needed to get a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I would have told him, I said, you have no clue how amazing your life will be if you just focus on sharing and giving. So this is a fascinating conversation. Okay, I feel not only you have the seed that you care and you want to give, but you act on it consistently. And consistent action comes from a process. Is there a ritual you follow in your work day when you wake up first thing you do, last thing that you are comfortable sharing? Of course. Of course. There's a lady I crossed paths with a few years ago, Dr. Leah Lagos. She wrote a book, um, but she's a biofeedback specialist. She works with golfers, pro athletes, hedge fund managers, big banker, all kinds of people in New York City. She has a process she takes people through that teaches you resonance breathing. So she has you do 20 minutes of practice in the morning, 20 minutes at night for 10 weeks. To do it with her costs about $15,000 to go through the program. She put the whole process into her book and then into an app called Elite HRV for free. So if you go on your phone and download Elite HRV, you can get the app for free and then take the 10-week course with Dr. Leah Lagos for free in the app And if you do it 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night, it recalibrates your entire nervous system to calm. What that means is if you're a golfer and you hit a bad shot, your heart rate normally spikes up over 100 beats a minute. And what that means is you lose access to your your frontal cortex, which is your decision-making intelligent part of your brain. You also lose access to your fine motor skills, which is your fine motor movement, which is how you golf. I mean, all those little tiny adjustments. And so you can't hit your shot. You can't think straight or make good decisions. Your golf game goes to crap and your heart rate stays up. After about seven out of the 10 weeks of doing the 20 minutes in morning at night, you see a golfer who hits a bad shot, their heart rate goes up. They take two big breaths and their heart rate drops right back down to 70, 65, 70, 80 beats a minute. And all of a sudden they get access right back to their fine motor movement. They get access to their frontal lobe, which is their intelligent decision-making part of their brain. And their golf game goes up amazingly. And so, I mean, she showed me with golf, but you could imagine how you run your business. How do you talk to your kids? How do you talk to your spouse? How do you filter the whole day? She showed me in relationships, if you're talking with a significant other and someone says something that triggers you, if your heart rate shoots up, you lose access to the ability to even comprehend what they're saying. You can't even hear what they're trying to tell you. And she says, when you can do these, this breath and it brings you right back down to calm, now you can process what they're saying without the emotional jarring and reaction. And so one of the things I've learned to do every day is that 20 minutes of the resonance breathing with the app. And I mean, I'm a, my son just turned one years old month and through the birth, through becoming a new father, through all the sleepless nights of getting up every couple hours, I could only imagine how I would have gone through that without this stuff, but with it. So the breathing every morning, I do muse meditation, which is a device that tracks your brainwaves and it gives you biofeedback 
When you calm your brain waves, it gives you tweeting birds that tell you you've cleared the storm. When you have lots of brain waves, it gives you a thunderstorm and lightning to tell you you have a storm in your mind. So it teaches you how to calm your mind and focus and stay in the moment. They did research in the University of Chicago with kids who had ADD and ADHD, and they found that three minutes a day for 30 days, they were able to massively reduce the medication, if not completely eliminate it for the kids with better results in focus and presence. So it was amazing. So I use Muse every day, the Elite HRV. What else do we do? Three-minute ice-cold showers. Uh, if you're familiar with Wim Hof, I got into his methodology of the cold exposure. So three-minute ice-cold showers. Gratitude, visualization. I read my vision for the, the year and, and the week every day. Um, read our gratitude every day, read what we're excited about every day. All of it has science behind it that shows it boosts your mood, it makes you more effective, it energizes you and keeps you at your best self. So I just handpicked all the activities and put it into one morning routine. The other routine that's just as important, but most people forget is an evening routine. I went and did a training for the special operators of the US Air Force. They're the ones who help the Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, all these people. And I asked, how many of you have some type of morning routine, how you get ready for work, how you get ready for the day? Everyone raised their hand. Breathing, cold, working out, mental training, mental rehearsal, visualization, all these things. I said, okay, what's most important to you in life? Most all of them said something like, my family, the people I care about. I said, okay. So you have a routine to get ready for work, but you said what's most important to you is your family. So do you have a routine to leave work and get ready for your family? And everyone went, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, wait a second. You said your family's most important, but you have a routine for work and you have no routine to get ready for your family. And they all kind of looked at each other. They knew they were screwed because they knew I set them up in the conversation and they all started laughing and went, whoops. I went, right? We spend all this time getting ready for work in our day and we have no routine except for get done, be exhausted, come home and go, huh. <laughs> I said, why not clear your mind? Why not go take a cold shower? Why not write out a list of all the things that you love most about the ones you love? Why not write out of things you're most with the most exciting things you want to create moments around tonight, memories with them? Why not mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually prepare yourself to come home to your family to give them your absolute best for the few hours you have with them in the evening? And, you know, it's bizarre. As you are talking about this, this email pops up on my screen, which is Dr. Sanjay Gupta and Tony, Tony Robbins unveils yeah. brain health breakthrough for a better and longer life. So it's like the timing is impeccable. And as you're talking about the golf, the wisdom that you're sharing has been proven over time. Gary Player, one of the things he used to talk about a lot is in any situation, Right now, as you sit, if you feel your own shoulders, if you feel that they are not, hands are not falling naturally, that means there is stress. That was the layman's way for him to identify as he walked from shot to shot. And he had only two-step process. His two-step processes was anytime you feel your shoulders are not falling normally, you breathe deeper and walk slower. Mm. And what was fascinating was he said that when he asked friends videotape him, what he saw was breathing faster and walking slower on the video made him look normal. Mm. 
normally in these circumstances we breathe less walk faster so he's like i'm not doing anything funny i'm just going back to where core and i think there's a bigger message that you're talking about is we have 24 hours in a day you and i have the same wealth yeah. how do we make every moment count really matters so jerk you're on an amazing journey okay i'm totally fortunate blessed grateful to have this time with you let's say you and i are having this conversation part 4 of our conversation the year is 2030 where do you see jerk in the year 2030 my goodness 2030 that would be 7 8 eight years from now your son will be 10 9 years old i think the life vision that i have painted for 10 years from now i mean i can go down the list emotionally we're passionate about our lives we're we're grateful for every day we're alive we're rich we're healthy strong uh working out every day spending a significant amount of time just like we are right now with my wife with my son every day enjoying our life we recently moved to puerto rico we live down on the beach here so that during his first year we could spend a significant amount of time now I work throughout the day but my blessing is between every meeting I get to go say hi to him I get to go hold him and snuggle him and have fun with him for a few minutes then run back up for my next call or meeting and keep things going all day so we'd be in that same situation we've digitized most of our life so we can reach we have clients luckily and and we're very grateful we have clients in 120 countries around the world and so we've been able to use the internet as our platform to have clients in countries I've never physically been to and it's such a blessing to be able to reach people all throughout earth with this kind of platform with our work and so we'll continue to do that we'll continue to expand that reach and expand our ability to to make that positive difference in their lives we have programs we've been building which are focused on helping small business owners to continue to grow and my belief is when you help the small business owner it helps the community because these are the people who reinvest in their kids soccer team and their local church and community center and causes and and so we love helping small business owners expand their their abilities so we'd be maxed out in that program and helping people all over the world in that range again we're blessed in that we have clients from Los Angeles all the way to Chennai actively in our program so we don't get the other time zone yet but maybe we'll have a second time zone group for the other side of earth wow <laughs> and then i think one of my biggest biggest things my grandparents are getting older my grandma's 83 my grandpa's 84 85 this year and so one of my favorite favorite things we'd be doing every year between now and then is taking them somewhere in the world for a week or two to just really soak up all the life they've always dreamed of And so a few years ago we took them to Barcelona for a week so they could experience Spain. My grandpa has Spanish roots in his bloodline. Um and he's so funny. He's like, "Okay, let's go in here and pretend like we're locals." It's like, "Okay, grandpa, let's do it." So he walks in, "Hola!" Like he knows everybody. And everybody's like, "Hey!" And I'm like, "Hey, they acted like they know you too. It must be a Spanish thing." <laughs> and so, you know, making those memories. I think it was Jesse Itzler the guy who's married to um the lady who built Spanx he said if you think about family most people only see those elder family members once a year twice a year three times a year if they're 83 and they live to 93 and you got 10 years you really don't have 10 years with them you really have 10 or 20 more times you get to see them over that 10 years and when i thought of that i went oh my gosh we have to make these times we see them 
really, really memorable. Like we have to develop memories and create magic in those moments. And so over those 10 years, we'd be creating so many magic moments with the ones we love. Um, I saw something that broke my heart the other day. It was a little video of a couple and everyone says, you know, take your kid when they're young to, to do things and capture all the moments. And it showed that their baby wearing little outfits in different cities on a little road trip. And then it said, we thought the pictures and memories were for our child when they grow up. It turns out they weren't. And it shows their child getting sick at like three years old. It shows their child in a casket. And then it shows the gravestone. And it said, it turns out all the memories we captured were for us, not him. I went, oh, I literally cried at the end of that. And it was like, wow, 10 years of making those little precious memories and capturing them all, I think would be the greatest mission I could go on. And the biggest thing I want to work on is my wife and I, we've funded two schools so far, and we want to continue to do that. I have a vision long-term that I want 10,000 kids going to school in the schools we've built. And I want to build a hospital, the village clinic out in the villages in King Lemire saved my life. And so when I saw the way that it was being run and how little supplies they had, I've always had a yearning to want to build a clinic and properly supply it out in the villages so they can have all the medical supplies they need to take care of the people there. And knowing you, you will do it. So absolutely, I believe 100%. You know, I think that the concept that you talked about over the next 10 years, you have 10 visits, 20 visits. My daughter was in high school. And before a final exam, you know, those days I was a single dad, I used to bake a cookie for her. That was the father-daughter ritual. All of a sudden, I realized I have KPIs, key performance indicators for everything in life. I didn't have one for father-daughter connections. And I realized the moment I started thinking KPIs, I realized that she has five more finals left, which means five more cookies. After that, she could be some other place of the planet. Like then she went to New York. There's no way dad can get cookies. And that changed the perspective that if I could make five more cookies for my daughter before she launches to the world, it better be careful. You know, amazing. So I started buying the coolest chocolates, coolest this, that, everything. And I'm so glad I did it because on their final semester before graduation in senior year, there was no final exams. They were actually not five cookies. They were only four. And I feel that concept resonates so brilliantly. So, you know, I can talk to you for hours. You know that. This is fascinating. So I would request you at the end, anything we haven't talked about. And I also want you to give a shout out for one person you haven't given a shout out yet. You have talked about your grandpa, your grandma, your dad, your mom, and your baby. But your wife looks like she's an amazing inspiration and a true life partner. So anything we haven't talked about and a little shout out for your amazing life partner, please. My wife, she is my life force. She's my fuel. She's my my mission. She she elevated me. I say people think I'm cool sometimes. People think I'm way cooler when you're around. And she goes, shut up. No, they don't. And I go, I'm dead serious. Like people will put up with me, but people love it when you're around. She's like, really? She helped me to recreate a relationship with my father that was okay. And it became extraordinary because of her. She helped me connect with the ones I love more than I'd ever been able to in my entire life. And I'm a loving, caring, kind person. It just, there was something missing. And what she helped me to understand was three buckets need to be filled. I am enough. 
I have enough and I'm loved enough. Wow. And if those three buckets are not full, then we spend our time trying to prove that we are enough, trying to get love from somewhere to fill up the bucket so we finally feel loved enough or trying to acquire things so we finally feel like we have enough. But with her in my life, those three buckets are overflowing in abundance. And when those buckets are overflowing and you can affirm, I am enough, I have enough, I'm loved enough, all you want to do is help other people feel that way too. Derek Robbins, thank you for a fascinating conversation. If I had to record the introduction now after the conversation, not only would I say you're a best-selling, best-selling author who helped thousands of people, I'm going to do all that part, fast, part, real rapidly, but talk about a man who cares with a big heart and always is looking at what he can do for others. A truly fascinating conversation, and I'm truly fortunate you shared from your heart. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. And thank you again, Jared Robbins. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.